0: Alright, good morning. It is September 12th, 2021. Welcome to the Young Son Baptist Church morning English uh, Sunday School service. We started back in May 16th, it's been that long already, looking at Biblical creationism. And we started with a general overview of the Biblical creation account and a quick synopsis of some of the scriptures in the rest of the Bible that support Genesis as a literal and historically accurate record of origins. We have since spent a dozen weeks or so looking around at the wonder of God's creation. So we started, we looked back, we looked around, and we saw, when we were looking around, all that God has providentially given us to study and admire and enjoy about his continued work of maintaining his creation. We talked about his initial power to make and then his continuing power to maintain. And that creative power and that sustaining power are two different powers with two different sets of laws. So we covered all of that. We got into those incredible creatures that defy evolution and that proclaim creation. And that was very fun. And though I could continue that probably (laughs) <laughs> infinitely, uh, There are so many creatures um, on this earth that God has designed specifically, in my opinion, to defy man's logic and man's ideas of evolution. And we might get back to some of those, but I wanted to go ahead and move to the next section on geology, uh, the geological and the fossil record. So this week we'll start to look down. We've been looking around, now we'll start to look down. And show that the history of the Earth and what we what is there in a permanent record, as it were, also points to the biblical account and uh, what God has to show us through what He's left in the Earth. So the first thing, as we look with evidence from within the Earth, I'll get into some definitions. This is going to be a lead-in lesson today. Not a lot of deep substance, but as we as we did with looking around with about 12 lessons, there it will probably have something like that for looking down. There is quite a lot to cover when it comes to, oh, I wonder why that got out of order. Okay. <laughs> There's quite a lot to cover when it, uh, when it boils down to what is in the fossil record, geology itself, and whether or not, I would say it does, but whether or not, or how, it equates to the Biblical account of creationism. So one definition we have to start with is fossil. If you don't know what a fossil is, it is the shape of a bone, a shell, a plant, or an animal that has been preserved in rock. There are many types of rock and there are many types of fossils. In actuality, in the English language, when fossil was originally used, it it, it meant more than just what was preserved in rock it meant anything they dug up out of the ground. So the fossil in its original, I think, Greek, is where they, or Latin, one of the two languages that they pull from, it just means what is dug up, okay? So the fossil is anything we've dug up out of the record. Fossilization is the process of something being preserved in the rock. And again, multiple kinds of rock, limestone, sandstone, granite, right? and we'll get into that in future lessons, but when we talk about fossils, we mean something that, is, that has been preserved either in its shape or in its actual um, status, right? Within rock and the fossilization is that process. Sedimentation is a relatively, is a process that is also uh, part of our discussion and sedimentation has two different definitions. It is a natural process in which rock is formed from small pieces of sand, stone, etc., that have been left by either water, ice, or wind. So, sediment, the small pieces of things, is moved either by water, ice, or wind, and then it's left when the water recedes, the wind stops, or the ice melts, and then that water evaporates, right? The sediment is what's left. If you make coffee and you throw the grounds directly in your cup, and mix it up and drink it. If you let the last bit settle, and that coffee evaporates, what's left is sediment. Sedimentation is the process of whatever is in there that's still solid settling. But another definition, which I feel like is more revealing in this creation evolution debate, is that it is a process in which small pieces of a solid material fall to the bottom of a liquid and form a layer. Like I just said with the coffee, that definition of sedimentation really plays into our portrayal of Noah's flood. That the sedimentary rock that we see all over the world is not gradually laid down by moving ice sheets over millions of years. It is very quickly laid down in multiple layers in one massive global catastrophic flood. And you can you can do that yourself by throwing multiple colors of sand into a bottle and mixing it up and it will all settle in layers based off the density of the different sand granules or anything you put in there as a, as a sediment. It will all settle in layers and you just shook it up and it makes different layers and you shake it up and it makes different layers. They used to have those sand art toys for kids that had an oil in them instead of water and multiple colors of granules and you just turn it over and it all moves around and makes different flowing layers, and you turn it over again, and it makes different flowing layers the other way as the oil bubbles move through it. Wonderful toy, At the for the purpose of showing, sedimentation is a very simple process where things are laid down at the bottom of a liquid to form layers, and we see that all over the world. There's a few more definitions that we'll look at. Is, okay, I don't know why that got out of order. Geology itself is the study of the rocks and the physical processes of the earth to understand its origin and history. So geology is specifically about origin and history of the earth by looking at the rocks and the physical processes. But then you can move into another probably familiar word, paleontology. Paleontology goes beyond geology and studies the fossils, right, those things that are preserved in the rocks, not, not Geology is bigger, it's all of the rock, including what's in it, and the gems, right, and everything else. Paleontology is specifically studying the fossils as a way of getting information about the history of life on Earth. Things that are fossilized that once lived, and then died, and we see a record of them. And then they also look at the structures of the rocks. Most paleontologists will get involved in what Fossils identify layers, and layers identify fossils, and we'll talk about dating methods later. Okay, a few more definitions. Beyond paleontology is archeology. span They're not so much looking at fossils of ancient creatures as they are buildings, monuments, graves, tools, and other objects left by people who lived in the past to learn about their cultures and their societies. So archeology span is more concerned with the structures that man has left behind. Clay pots and roads and buildings and things like that. The um, Easter Island skulls, the, um, what are they called? The, the set up in Scotland, what's it called? a stone hinge, right? Those hinges that are all over the pyramids or other ziggurats that have a uh, general pyramid shape that are all over the world. For whatever reason, those kinds of things are studied by archaeologists. They uncover them and they try to find a way to identify things about culture and society. Then another term you might have heard that we won't really delve into as much, but it might come up, is anthropology. And Anthropology is beyond that, it's specifically studying the human race, culture, society, physical development. It looks only at the humans. So we may cover anthropology in our next set of lessons when we look in at man, or it may come up a few times in some quotes or discussions or articles relative to the comparison of, we have fossils for lots of different animals, why don't we have fossils for men? So. Anthropology, again, is specifically the human race and its development. Then archeology span is a little broader than that. It's human societies. Then paleontology beyond that is all of the fossils, everything buried. Geology is all of it together. So when we talk about the geological record, we mean everything in the earth, okay? The processes that the earth goes through at on and below the surface, and anything involved in that. Any questions? No. All right, so beyond those, I'm going to give you some questions. (laughs) These are just a few that will get us started thinking along the lines of where we're going with this. So how are fossils formed? Generally, there are three ways that fossils are formed. The first way is through impression or imprint or mold. The outer shape of something that was encased in rock is left in the rock. So we see just the outer shape. Sometimes if like a clamshell is open, right, if it dies and opens and it gets encased on both sides, you might get to see the outside and the inside. But in the case of a trilobite or a leaf, the outside is just the outside. You don't have any organic material in imprint or impression fossils. Sorry, I'll use the pointer just giving me to get my hand out of the way. There's no organic material left, no DNA to study. It is simply an imprint or an impression of the item that died and was buried in the stone. This very common method of fossilization. Footprints can come up this way, where if they're left in soft sediment that hardens quickly, it can turn like cement into leaving an impression. And that happens all over the world. We find those lots of places. Another method is petrification. You might have heard of things being petrified. Petrification takes place when minerals replace the organic material of the plant or the animal. The petrified fossils must form quickly before the body parts have time to decay. Otherwise, it's just an imprint, right? Like the first one we talked about. But if it's enclosed quickly enough with enough pressure, the minerals that are flowing through can replace the organic material and make a substitute for it. So then we have a petrified 3D model of what was there. Um, This is a classic example, petrified wood. And the colors that you see in the petrified wood, all of it is hard as stone, but the colors represent different minerals that have either been caught by the the wood as the water was flowing through it, or were there in the first place and then were replaced. But each each color there represents a different mineral that has replaced the organic material. There are charts you can look at on the internet of whether it's zinc or copper or magnesium or different colors representing different uh, minerals. Clamshells and ammonites. Not the people, but the animal. They, sometimes a clamshell will get caught unopened and be fossilized or petrified um, in that way. Sometimes they die first and then they're open and that's when they're fossilized. So the difference has a lot to do, as we'll talk about later, with how quickly and where from they were covered or buried. So then beyond petrification is another process called a permineralization. It's a little harder word to say, so most people just stick with petrified or fossilized. But permineralization is when a fossil is fully encased and the dissolved minerals fill all the pores and the empty spaces in the plant or the animal, but they don't replace the original organic material. So the chemicals then turn into crystals, keeping the organism safe and preserved. While it's possible for many different chemicals to do this, quartz or silicate is the most common one. Most dinosaur bones that we have are permineralized fossils. So, though these three mechanisms are the most common that we see for fossils, fossils can form under lots of different kinds of conditions around the world. Water and dissolved minerals are needed for all three of these methods. But there are other methods like colification. Where something is fossilized in a the lump of coal, or compression, where it's just pressure, or freezing, woolly mammoths found in the ice in the in, at the North Pole. And desiccation, which is drying out. Something can be in a desert dried out to the point where it doesn't decay because there's absolutely no oxygen or moisture in it. But those processes don't require water and don't require um, minerals. So That's how fossilization occurs. Next question, is fossilization common? Not really, because God created the world to, and I know these are probably a little gross. I've tried to pick photos that weren't that gross. There are lots of other options. God created the world to efficiently recycle organic matter. As we discussed in the ecosystem lessons, right? When something dies, scavengers, fungi, and bacteria normally consume it and this process of decomposition that we discussed in that ecosystem study leaves nothing behind to fossilize so if nothing's left behind nothing gets fossilized that's going to come into a great detail or it's of great importance in our discussion about the flood and what fossils we see and what fossils we don't see So, massive catastrophes like tsunamis and floods can produce the conditions necessary to quickly bury, protect, and thus fossilize creatures. But fossilization nowadays is not common. When we find fossils, they're usually of older things. Usually. We'll talk about that too. So then why are there so many of these older fossils? If you think, if you believe evolution, these things like fossil graveyards Right? where there are massive numbers of bones all stacked over the top of each other. Don't make any sense, because something can't just live and then die and then get buried slowly over millions of years and turn into a fossil, and we're seeing them 300 million years later, and why are they all in these clumps? And or what kind of an event, then, would cause them all to die on top of each other all at the same time and not decay before they got buried? Well, we have an answer. (laughs) (laughs) Biblical creation says that a massive catastrophe like Noah's flood, which is probably the most massive catastrophe the earth has ever seen, is perfect to explain these kinds of massive um, bone graveyards and the way that some of them are multiple types of animals, bones all mixed up, right, by things that don't necessarily live together. When a flood happens, as we said with the sand art, things can be mixed across. So they'll, the things that are normally at sea level and things that are above sea level can be mixed up and left at the top of a mountain, because underwater, the mountains are going down, the valleys are going up, and it's all chaos. So we can explain it this way. And then why are there so many? One possible answer is that it appears God wanted to leave evidence preserved of his past judgment on man, so that modern man can't explain it away and say, oh, it didn't happen. Things have continued since the beginning. Where is the evidence of this flood? Well, there is lots of evidence of this flood. And it, it is, in my opinion, preserved this way, just like God's word is preserved to have a general revelation and a specific revelation for us to be able to study thousands of years later. It's still there for us to see this evidence. It's not going away. It's not being taken down like statues. It's not being abandoned like the old paths. It's there as long as we look at it. Then, but isn't fossilization a slow process? Everybody's taught in school that fossilization takes millions of years, right? It's a slow, gradual process. Everything with evolution is a slow, gradual process. Lots and lots of time to explain things that are unexplainable. But you don't need time. Fossilization is, does not necessarily have to be slow. And while scientists still try to sort out all the complex details of fossilization, one fact is undisputed, it can be very fast. This, oh, sorry, I'm losing everything here. This fossil of an Archaeopteryx that is often used in many disputed ways that we might talk about later. But this Archaeopteryx was obviously dead when it was buried and fossilized, all right? But this fish, because of the splaying of its fins, was swimming when it got encased in mud and was fossilized. And this fish was in the middle of a meal. There's another fish right here. Being eaten by this fish that is also swimming. that had to have happened very very quickly. They didn't die like that well I mean it did but they were already encased and the fossilization process had already begun okay Someone could still argue oh these are prehistoric animals from a prehistoric age whatever that means in my <laughs> I, I believe the Bible the Bible started before there was time in the beginning so if there's anything that could ever be explained as prehistoric it would only be god yeah. and you could call god prehistoric if you want to but nothing else that we see is prehistoric because the bible starts in the beginning okay and the bible explains things like this with a global catastrophic flood about 4,500 years ago but we can give more let's say contemporary examples than just this that show that fossilization is not slow we spoke of petrified wood This is petrified driftwood. My mom has some of this that she got in Hawaii that's sitting on her uh, shelf in her her bathroom in Texas. But it's wood that has been replaced with mineralization because of its time in the water. Um, Petrified wood is simply a name that we give to any type of fossilized remains of terrestrial vegetation. So it could be plants all the way up to redwoods, right? As long as they've been permineralized, or in in this case, we call it petrified, but it's a result of the tree having turned completely into stone, right? All of the organic material has been replaced with minerals, mostly, as I said, a silicate such as quartz, while retaining the original structure of the wood, even the rings and the knots and the wormholes, the entire original structure of the wood is retained. and viewable. I have another photo that I didn't put in here of a tree trunk in Wales that was locked off at the water level, but was fossilized underwater and in the mud. And it, because of the way it was broken off, you can see the bark lines on the outside and the rings inside, and then also the mineral deposits as they flowed through created almost like waves within the structure of it before it petrified. So there's evidence of it was in the water quite a long time before it was actually petrified. Fascinating things. But unlike other types of fossils which typically make impressions or compressions, petrified wood is a three-dimensional representation. It's mineral-laden water that flows through the sediment and then replaces the organic material. And this process takes less than 100 years. We've we've observed it multiple times. Most notably, we'll talk about this uh, in another lesson, most notably in this situation of Mount St. Helens eruption in the 1980s. It threw trees off of the mountain. They were buried in the lake at the base of the mountain in the mud and the ash that that was there and petrified in the course of like 10 years. And some of them are multi-layer or what we'll call call transition, not transitional fossils, sorry. Um, Yeah, multi-layer fossils crossing what is supposedly, you know, this is a year and this is a year and this is a hundred years and this is a thousand years but through multiple layers, some of them right side up, some of them upside down, some of them completely sideways. And it, it, it flies in the face, that evidence just since 1980 with Mount St. Helens eruption, flies in the face of what evolutionary geologists try to say about the layers of sediment in the earth. But in this case, when we talk about petrified wood, um, the organic material has to be there and then the decomposition and the replacement have to all happen together at the same time. So it's a complicated process. When you have much most, or not so most, when you have lots of them together, you can call it a petrified forest. In the United States, we have the petrified forest national park. And all over you see these fallen trees that are fully petrified, that have broken when they've fallen, and so they're in pieces, and you can see the inside with the rings and the bark and everything, but all of this is solid stone. And again, this is a redwood-sized tree, that's a person standing right there next to the tree. This is a sign at the end of it, all the way down to the other end of it, a very large tree that was, uh, again, petrified, fell down. This whole place is, a, is in a desert now, which means- There's, there's petrified wood yep. pieces just- Everywhere. All over. Everywhere. It. And if all of these trees, especially this size, are petrified, that means this desert at one time had to be fully underwater. It's the only way that these things can be petrified. It's not like they got petrified somewhere else that's still water and then someone moved them there. That's impossible with how much this tree weighs. Okay? We'll get into that in a minute as far as how much weight displacement happens when you replace wood with stone. But petrification does not take millions of years. It's impossible to say that it takes millions of years. It doesn't even take a hundred years like we talked about there. This petrified sack of flour is on display in Eureka Springs Gardens in Arkansas. It was in a mill, the Blue Spring mill, and that was abandoned in 1903. The Blue Spring was used, the water was used to power the mill, and so then when they abandoned the mill, whatever was left over, the water just sort of filled up, right, because they weren't still working the mill. And all of these sacks of flour were then inundated with the real densely mineralized blue spring water that resulted in petrification of these flower sacks. And these are all normal size flower sacks, maybe 10-15 pound flower sacks. The heaviest of them now is 80 pounds because it's become solid stone. But you can still see the gathering of the bag where they had it tied together at the end. And This was, they were abandoned in the mill in 1903, and I think it was in the 70s when they discovered all of this stuff. So, again, less than 100 years for these sacks of flour to fully petrify. But wait, there's more. This, okay, I'll hit hit the button. This is a miner's hat in Tasmania. I'll look over here. Tasmania, off the coast of Africa, or Australia. Why did I say Africa? off the coast of Australia. In Tasmania, a miner left his hat in the mine when they closed the mine. Someone else went back in there 50 years later and found this hat fully turned from felt to stone just from the minerals in the mine because the mine was closed off so there wasn't any airflow coming through there or anything to the environment. Um, The structure of the hat is solid. Like I said, it is solid stone now. Felt turned to stone in about 50 years. And then it gets even better than that not millions of years. This is a rubber-soled cowboy boot found in the West Texas town of Iran. It's spelled like Iran, I-R-A-N, but there are two A's. It's pronounced Iran. So in Iran, Texas, they found this rubber-soled boot with a petrified cowboy's foot inside of it. And the boot itself is not petrified, but the leg is. And that just shows that certain materials petrify more readily than others do. The, the processed cowhide didn't get re- mineral replacement as quickly as the bone and the tissue did of the cowboy's leg. But the this, I'll, I'll read it off to you because there's a lot of details. This boot they found was made by the M.L. Letty Boot Company of San Angelo, Texas and it, they began manufacturing boots in 1936. Obviously not a prehistoric fossil, okay? <laughs> they began manufacturing boots in 1936. The founder in El his nephew recognized the stitching that he called the number 10 stitching pattern, because I don't know if you know this about cowboy boots, all of these stitching patterns are patented. So everyone is different, hmm. slightly, but he recognized the number ten stitch pattern that his uncle's company used, and he believed that this boot was made somewhere in the 1950s. This boot was discovered around 1980 in Iran by Mr. Jerry Stone, who was an employee of the Corbett Oil Company. They're digging around for oil, finding stuff. Oh, look at this! What is that? We set it aside. I'll get to it later. They took it to. Um, Harris Methodist Hospital in Bedford, Texas, in 1997, and that's when they ran scans on it and found that there was still a leg inside. It. When he had it in the rock, they didn't know there was still a leg inside the boot. They just thought he lost his boot in the mud and, you know, it, it got it turned into a fossil. And they found out, no, 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 there's a human leg in there. So something happened to this cowboy, and he got severed off just above the boot. Probably fell off his horse and got drugged to death until his leg snapped off. Maybe. Yeah, there's there's lots of different ways we could explain how it gets snapped off, obviously violently, right? the very vicious fracture there above the above the ankle, but from 1950s when this boot was made to the time that the cowboy had it to the time the cowboy lost it to 1980 when they found this a fossilized leg inside of a boot in less than 30 years, okay. Oh, this, this is still on display along with the original CT scans at the Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas. The process of fossilization proves nothing about long periods of time. Just because something is fossilized does not mean it's very old. What it does prove is that something lived at one point and was buried either before or after it died. That's all we know. Something something was there and it got buried. That's all fossilization tells us. If you want, you can actually do fossilization yourself. Just take a sponge in your kitchen, cut it in half. So you can leave half on the counter, put the other half in a a low dish, boil some water, and fill it with Epsom salt until the Epsom salt won't dissolve anymore. Pour that over the sponge that's in the pan or or the plate or the bowl or whatever and leave it out where it won't be disturbed. In a few days when the water dissolves, or when the water evaporates, the Epsom salt will have been absorbed by the sponge, and you can compare that sponge that's now fossilized with the sponge that you left out on the counter. You can break it in half and see the difference between the standard sponge that has just been left without water, right? So it's just drying out, basically, and the one that has been permineralized interesting experiment, but it only takes a few days for you to make a fossil in your own kitchen It tells us nothing about extreme periods of time. We're just getting started with the evidence from geology and there's so much in this field for us to see. It's exciting when you can go into science with an open mind. everyone has assumptions. If you don't if you don't if you admit that you don't have assumptions, you admit that you're a liar. So you either assume that you believe in evolution and there is no God where you assume that you believe in God and that the Bible is true. So assuming that I believe in God and the Bible is true, then what I see in God's world should reflect what I read in God's word. And it absolutely does. So we'll see as we go through this geological lesson, like what Jesus said in Luke 19 to the Pharisees when the people were crying, Hosanna. if these were to hold their peace, the rocks would immediately cry out. And in Psalm 148, the psalmist calls on all of creation to uh, praise the Lord, and that call on all creation is the heavens themselves, the hills, and even hail—all <laughs> right? called upon to include us to praise the name of the Lord. And I think that the rocks are already crying. I think that what God has left us, even in this fallen world, after in the fallen world, even after the flood of the judgment of man. God has still left us rocks that cry out, this is this is God's world. This is my Father's world. This is His plan. And here's all the evidence that you need to believe the word that He's already given you. Amen? So, if we can just stop and listen to what the rocks are telling us, we can sing along with their praises to God. And I very much look forward to it. So stay tuned if you're watching online. Come back if you're here. And let's pray and we'll get into the service Almighty God.